What do we know about Him? And what can we know about Him? Well, these answers and many more questions or answers to questions uh, about Christ are found in Scripture. And so we're going to look at a few of those uh, tonight as we think about Christ. John Newton. John Newton was a rough, dirty sailor with a foul mouth and an appetite for rotten living. He hated life and life hated him. He was a captain of a slave ship. Then someone placed in his hands a copy of Thomas Kempis' The Imitation of Christ. He also had the gift of a good mother who helped him along the way. And he told and she told him about a savior while he was young. He went all over England after that, sharing his faith. Well past retirement age, he had been preaching. Someone would have to assist him as he stood before the congregation and preached on Sundays. He was nearly blind and spoke in whispers, but nothing could keep him from preaching or sharing his faith while he still had breath. One Sunday he was up preaching and he, uh, his, he was delivering this message and he repeated a sentence several times. He said, Jesus Christ is precious. His helper whispered to him, You've already said that twice. Newton turned to his helper and said loudly, Yes, I've said it twice and I'm going to say it again. Jesus Christ is precious. The stones of that ancient building shook, fairly shook, as the preacher continued to say, Jesus Christ is precious. And so let us look uh, at some things about uh, the Christ found in Scripture. Uh, Go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew uh, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll meet there uh, in just a few minutes. The word for Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which itself is a translation of the Hebrew word that's transliterated in the King James Version as Messiah. The literal English meaning of the the Greek and Hebrew word is the anointed one. So when we read about and speak about the Christ, we're actually talking about, and Scripture is talking about, the anointed one. Uh, This word Christos, uh, the Greek word for Christos, appears 529 times in the New Testament. The Hebrew word Messiah appears only twice in the New Testament. And both times, John 1 and verse 41 and chapter 4 and verse 25, it is immediately translated and interpreted by the term Christ. In the Septuagint, which is the old, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the term Christos is applied to the priests who are anointed the Holy One, especially the high priests. We see that in Leviticus chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, prophets... Uh, We're also called the anointed ones in Psalm 105 in verse 15. The kings of Israel um, were also or sometimes termed as the anointed of the Lord. On one occasion, the term was even used uh, of the Persian king Cyrus. Uh, 
Now, Isaiah 50, 45, verse 1, to indicate that He had been the chosen one by God in, as His instrument of justice, of judgment. The chosen one, or the anointed one. While there are many Christ are anointed ones, of course, reading the book of Revelation and other places where they talk about Antichrist, the general, in the general sense, but the Jews in the first century, they understood that there was only one Christ. They understood that. He was the long-promised Messiah. Luke chapter 7 and verse 19. And another example of that is what we looked at this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 2. When the Magi, or the wise men, they arrive from the east and they ask King Herod, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? The king calls the priests and the teachers of the law and ask them where the Christ is to be born. And they immediately tell him because they know, they know the scriptures, and they immediately quote from Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 as we talked about this morning and identifies that he would be born in Bethlehem. So they knew about the Christ. And this messianic expectancy in the first century extends even to the Samaritans. You remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus uh, meets the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well? And she says, I know that Messiah, the Christos, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus Himself even warns against imposters claiming to be the Christos. If you read in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 23, um, we see Him talking about and warning about these imposters, these claiming to be the Christos. Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One. And that's what makes Him special. Well, there's some significant things about Christ in Scripture, and we want to notice some of those. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, let us notice verses 13 and following. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. You know, many times in Scripture, and even today, the term Christ is often misunderstood. But if Jesus had a credit card, an American Express or Visa or MasterCard, it would have read Jesus of Nazareth. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible says, and Peter speaking there, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. That was His name. 
A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourself knows. No. And on the... The, the sign above the cross. Remember, Pilate would have these very words we find in John chapter 19 and verse 19. Outside of Judaism, the term Messiah was unacceptable. So in the general public, uh, Messiah was unacceptable, an unacceptable title. And so when the Gospel was preached... Uh, to the Gentiles in this Roman world, Christos quickly became uh, the understood title of Jesus. So that was His title. And remember we said that means the Anointed One. It's significant then that the term Christian, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this, Christianios, is initially applied to the followers of Jesus in Antioch. Acts chapter 11 verse 26 likely a predominantly Gentile church. Have you, ever, have you ever seen on television them talk about surveys? Uh, maybe even someone has called you trying to conduct a survey. You see, the interesting thing about surveys is surveys report opinions. They do not report fact. But in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked a question. He asked a question, kind of like a survey. Who do people say that I am? And you remember their responses. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And see, there were some things about these answers. They were opinions. They were what other people were saying. They were all notable prophets. They all also had passed on. And all of those answers were wrong. They were not factual. You see, Jesus is not satisfied with receiving a report of the opinion of the crowds. So He continues to press His apostles. And you know Simon Peter made that great statement. You are the Christos. You are the Anointed One. The Son of the Living God. There's some interesting things about Peter's confession here. First of all, he recognizes the identity of Jesus. The title Jesus being His name, the title of Jesus, the Christos. And he recognizes that that brings blessings. He also recognizes the appropriate response to the revelation of God. God had revealed this to him. The confession that Jesus is the Christ still remains the foundation for the church today. But we live in a society that's increasingly unaware of basic biblical knowledge. There was a survey done, or someone asked uh, the Barner group. Um, they asked a group and surveyed unchurched Americans, and just half of them had a strong opinion about Jesus one way or another. Three out of ten strongly agree with this statement. When He lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people do. Three out of ten people believed that and thought that was true. But Scripture clearly tells us, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, that Jesus was without sin. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to notice... I want you to notice... 
what Paul writes about uh, really uh, the way some people view the Christ and the way Christians ought to be aware of who the Christ is, the Anointed One. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, notice beginning in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says this message of the Christos, this message of the Anointed One, you see, it's foolishness to everyone else, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christos crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And he goes on talk, and talks about uh, when you glory in something, don't glory in yourself. Remember, he's talking about wisdom and foolishness. Don't glory in yourself. Glory in God. Glory in God because He sent the message of the Christos, the Anointed One. And to the world, that was foolishness. To a people who saw after wisdom, that was foolishness. But to those being saved, it was the power of God. Just as there were people who misunderstood and mistaked the concept of the Christos in the first century, there's still a lot of confusion today. Philip Yancey writes this, If you peruse the academic books available at a seminary bookstore, you may encounter Jesus as a political revolutionary, as a magician who married Mary Magdalene, as a Galilean charismatic, a rabbi, a peasant Jewish cynic, a Pharisee, an anti-Pharisee Essene, an eschatological an eschatological prophet, a hippie in a world of Augustan yuppies, and as a hallucinogenic leader of a sacred mushroom cult. That's kind of strange, isn't it? To go into a place where Christ is being studied, the Christos is being studied, and you find books that describe the Christos like this. Maybe those people ought to just stick with the Bible, right? Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 24. We won't read all this because we've read this several times recently. Uh, it's, it's the post-resurrection uh, story of Jesus and He meets the two on the road to Emmaus. And these two disciples, you will remember, they were downcast. 
they, but they, they somehow, uh, they, they were downcast and worried about what was happening, about where this Jesus was, the Christos. And Jesus uh, happens upon them or comes upon them and begins talking with them and asks them why they were so sad. And they expressed their disappointment in the death of Jesus, saying, We had hoped that He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Verse 21. And these two disciples, they uh, relate this initial reports of Jesus' resurrection, news that they clearly do not believe. They tell about it, but then they seem to not believe it. But Jesus responds with a rebuke. Notice it, if you will. Uh, verses 25 and 26. How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Now remember, we've already talked about the Jews. They were the ones that would have known about the Christos. Because it was uh, the priests and the leaders that King Herod called and said, Where is this, this, where is this supposed to happen? Oh, well, they quoted from Micah. They knew in Bethlehem. That's where the Christos, that's where the Messiah would be born. And Jesus says, How are you slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not the Christos have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. He speaks to them reminding them of the things that they ought to have known already. In another appearance to some of the disciples, Jesus had a similar message. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He then opens their minds and He tells them, this is chapter 24, verses 44 and following. This is what is written. The Christos will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now these episodes mention... Uh, give us three essential facts about Jesus. Number one, their understanding of the Christ are fundamentally wrong and they are slow to recognize the nature of the Messiah. And this was people who were supposed to know about the Christos, about the Messiah. They could have and should have understood this from the many prophecies told in the Old Testament that speak of the coming Christos. What they failed to understand is that the promised one would be a suffering Messiah. You remember, they were not looking for a suffering Messiah. When they heard King of Kings, they were looking for someone to establish their kingdom on earth. But they failed to understand Isaiah 53, the suffering Christos, the suffering Messiah. The cross of Christ continues to be a stumbling block to many today. We read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because it convicts people, and I like this statement that someone wrote, it, it convicts people of the sinlessness, of the sinfulness of their sins and reminds them of their spiritual helplessness. Now, we do live in a time where things happen in the daytime. But most of the time, most of the time... Uh, 
evil and things like that, sin takes place in the darkness. Or people try to hide it. And why do people that are maybe living in sin, they're not ready to give themselves to the Christos, to the Anointed One, why do they not like to be in church? It's kind of like a light being revealed on what's happening back in the back alley. Their sin is revealed. They're brought face to face. If they're in assemblies like this, they are brought face to face uh, to their sinfulness. But they're also brought face to face if they will take heart to what the Christos has done for them. Let me share a quote with you. I believe this is on the screen. If it had been widely spread around that Jesus was the Messiah, quite certainly the populace would have read their own meaning into the term, into that term. And quite certainly that would have been a nationalistic meaning. There was no more explosive and inflammable country in the world than Palestine. If Jesus had publicly claimed to be Messiah, nothing could have stopped unless stopped a useless flood tide of slaughter. Before Jesus could openly make any claim to Messiahship, it was absolutely necessary that He should lead men to see what Messiahship meant. He must teach them a Messiahship whose only power was sacrificial love. He must show them a picture of a Messiah whose reign was in the hearts of men. A Messiah or a Christos who reigned from a cross. I came across this. I thought it was really, really interesting. This was from Ronald Reagan, former President of the United States of America. Meaning no disrespect to the religious convictions of others, I still can't help wondering how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of all and which is recorded in history. No one denies that there was such a man, that he lived and that he was put to death by crucifixion. Where is this miracle I spoke of, he writes? Well, consider this and let your imagination translate the story into our own time, possibly to your own hometown. A young man whose father is a carpenter grows up working in his father's shop. One day he puts down his tools and walks out of his father's shop. He starts preaching in the street corners and in the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while, even though he is not an ordained minister. He does this for three years. Then he is arrested, tried, and convicted. There is no court appeal, so he's, he is executed at age 33 along with two common thieves. Those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing. The only possession he has. His family cannot afford a burial place for him, so he is interred in a borrowed tomb. End of story. No, this uneducated, propertyless young man who left no written word, has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, all the conquerors, generals, and admirals. 
all the scholars, scientists, and philosophers who have ever lived, all of them put together. How do we explain that? Unless He really was who He said He was. Powerful words from a man with an office of power. To recognize the Christos, the Anointed One. The book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Jesus, the Christos, speaks about what God has done for the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son in the, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, when we read passages of Scripture like that and some of these others, we realize what Scripture teaches us about the Christos, the Anointed One. We realize what Scripture teaches us about God's love. God loved us so much that He sent the Christos, the Anointed One, the only one that could take our place, the only one that could be that sacrificial lamb, the only one that could be the sacrifice for our sins into the world for us. Isn't that amazing? Because at the end of the day, you know what God wants? He wants to see you there. He wants to see you there. Let us, this week, next week, next year, strive to share this kind of message about the Christos, the Anointed One, that God has sent into the world because He loves us that much. Paul would say, listen, it's not about what you've done. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. It's about what you will do today with the Christos, the Anointed One. We're thankful that you're here tonight. And if we can serve you and help you in any way, help you with the relationship with the Lord, the Christos, the Anointed One, or pray for you and pray with you and lift you up before to our Heavenly Father, uh, let us help you with that tonight. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation or we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.